This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 556. And the quote of the day is, music is a total constant. That's why we have such a strong, visceral connection to it. Because a song can take you back instantly to a moment or a place or even a person. No matter what else has changed in your world, that one song stays the same. Just like that moment. Listening to the Drummers Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. And beyond. And beyond. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 556. Thank you for being here. Thanks for checking this out. And quickly, uh, I don't think that I need to let anyone know about the things that are happening in the world right now with the coronavirus, and there have been mass cancellations across the world. And one of them in particular that I wanted to let you know about is the Scott Pellegrom clinics that were coming to the UK have officially been canceled, unfortunately. And while it is an unfortunate circumstance uh you know we want everyone to be safe and and we definitely want want scott to be safe so dream symbols and scott decided that they are going to cancel that and hopefully they'll they'll reschedule it and once they do i'll let everyone know the bright side i guess you could say is that if you are home and you're not going to these clinics and things like that it gives you some time to practice they're talking about sort of distancing distancing yourself from public places and things like that so lots of shows canceled lots of tours canceled all those sorts of things and if you're home take the opportunity to make something to create something or to get in some shed time or some time with family and things like that and you know it's events like this that that make us remember what's important and you know hopefully we are going to come out of this uh okay you know it's a it's a really sticky situation and I am by no means an expert on any of it, but my hope is that people will take the proper precautions and that people will take this seriously and that we will all come out of this, uh, you know, healthy on, on the other side. And I know that there is going to be some, some, uh, some tragedies along with it. So definitely a tough time, not only, you know, in, in the United States, but all over the world. So if you're listening to this, thank you for listening and thank you for being here. And I hope that you and your loved ones are safe and, you know, we're all in this together. We are, we are one, one community and, and one world. And especially with the internet and everything, we are really connected now. So I'm just hoping and praying that all of you are safe and, and please continue to stay safe and do all the things that they tell you to do, limit your, your interaction with people and, you know, wash your hands and clean up after yourself and clean up hard surfaces and things like that. And, and, uh, that's all I have to say about it. So, uh, now I'm going to get into this interview. This is a conversation that I had with Tucker Rule. Tucker is the original and founding drummer for the band Thursday, grew up in New Jersey, started that band, grew it to a full band, and then since then has played in everything from My Chemical Romance and, and Yellow Card to uh, a boy band called The Wanted, which we talk about, which is an interesting way of, of that coming to be. And this conversation talks about 
really about that that visceral reaction to music that I was talking about earlier in the quote and how he wanted to be a part of that and that punk scene of getting inside of that and really playing with intent and being part of this amazing energy that he saw happening on stage and how he harnessed all of that and turned it into a successful career. So I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get into it with the one and only Tucker Rule. Tucker Rule, what's going on, buddy? How you doing, Nick? I'm Thanks doing for well. having me on. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's not. This is you're the second second episode uh, in a row that we've had an East Coast. I had a fellow Philadelphian on, and now uh, a, a New Jersey native moved, lived in Brooklyn for a while, and now back to New Jersey, right? That's right, tri-state area. I like it. Coming, coming at you. Yeah. Are you guys all under? Uh, are you guys quarantined? No one's leaving their houses. For some reason, I feel like the East Coast is like freaking out more than the West Coast about the uh, the coronavirus. I mean, I know it's like a serious thing, but I'm still leaving the house. You know what I mean? You gotta, you gotta do. So we're, we're, we just moved into a new house, so we had to move and do all the stuff and go buy furniture. So it's like there's stuff that's gotta happen. I'm having a baby in like 20 days as Congratulations. well. Congratulations. So thanks. So you know, you know, all that comes with that is like you know, you gotta, you gotta prepare. So yeah, for trying sure. Not to get sick, but trying to have a place to uh, foster this this young mind. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So I, I read today that uh, that Coachella got canceled. They already canceled South by Southwest. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, they. I think they're going to move Stagecoach or it's going to get canceled as well. Or, I'm sorry, they didn't cancel Coachella. I don't want to spe- spread misinformation. They, they're, they're moving it to, <laughs> moving it, yeah. to October. It, August. August. Yeah, October, uh, August? That's right. No, what, it was October. I'm okay. wrong. You're right. Um, so, uh, but the interesting thing is like the implications that it has for – not only you know all the promoters and the vendors and all that kind of stuff and the bands but not necessarily the bands but think about the the side men and women who are playing in these bands yeah and there is and i know that you've mentioned this before like there's a big difference between being in a band and owning it and being a side man and getting paid as a hired gun absolutely and so like people don't think about it like if you know whoever if bruno mars doesn't play a show like yeah, he's gonna lose some money, but like the other people are gonna, you know, they're the they're like dependent on absolutely on absolutely, that money. and a lot of that stuff. It, like when you get hired for a gig, you know, you that you're you're off the market, basically. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That it, if you're lucky enough to have two, three, four people offering you stuff at the same time, you know, which is a rarity these days, but you know, you pick one and then you're off the market. You know, so when when people cancel and when you when you have to pull out for stuff like that, you're 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 you still have no gig. You know? Right. It's not like you can move on to something else. So it's that's tough because you usually you know you say you get offered a month tour, you know that's a good amount of money, mm-hmm. you know, and then then it's taken out from under you, and then you're like, well, what am I going to do for this month? Right. Right. You know, so it's tough. There's I remember I guess it was like two years ago, maybe even longer. Justin Bieber canceled his whole world tour. Right. He's yeah. like four dates into it, cancels the whole thing. And everyone's like, oh, man, that sucks. He canceled this tour. I was like, yeah. And about 150 people just lost their job. Totally. It got gone. Like no contingency plan. No, you know, there's no like there's no uh, severance package. There's no nope. nothing. No gone. rhyme or reason either. You don't they don't you know, he probably doesn't owe anybody any explanation, you know, for, for right. that. You know, it's because he's a megastar, you know, right. 
And so I look at you like you've come from both worlds, right? Like with Thursday, were you a member of the band or were you hired? Were you hired? Um, I've been a member the the entire time for you know since day one. So and you've also been on the other side, which you've been a hired. Gun. I have. So like me, I've done. I would say ninety nine percent of my playing has been in bands that I owned and one percent uh-huh. side man. Um, but you have a lot more experience in this on both sides of it. Um, so if you were. It, if you were giving advice, right? Obviously, you want to own part of the band, but if you're if you can't own part of the band, then what is your what is your approach for being a sideman and like a contingency plan? Where like if you were supposed to go out on this tour with My Chemical Romance and they're like, uh, we're not going to do this anymore, that you're not just like, oh my god, I have no idea where I'm going to get money from to feed my child and buy food. Uh, I mean, honestly, it's like I, I, I don't think I'm I'm one to to give advice for that because I go all in. You know what I mean? If mm-hmm. I if I get the opportunity to tour with someone who, you know, is is, you know, I think it's cool or whatever. Like I go all in and I don't I don't have a backup plan. Let me rephrase that. I guess contingency plan is the wrong word. What is your uh, what is your your plan and approach? And like in terms of like because I, I, I you you're a smart dude. I don't think that you're just like, eh, you know, I'll just get this money and I'll, whatever the next gig will come, and um, there's no plan for the future. Yeah, I, I mean, th- I appreciate that, and I, I try to be smart about it. It, it it's kind of crazy, you know, because, like I said, when, when you when you take a gig and then say something were to happen, you know, or it gets cut short, it's really hard to you have you have to catch every gig at the start. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of bands that are hiring you know, somebody in the middle of the, of their touring cycle, you know, or in the middle of a tour. So to, to, to get, have a gig like canceled or something or whatever, moving on to the next one, you kind of have to like, kind of wait. And I, I was trying to like give lessons for a while and that was cool, but I, I just, I, I liked playing more than I did teaching, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I don't, and I don't think I have a lot of the knowledge that a lot of the really great teachers out there have, you know, and I, I, I leave that to them. You know, I think that's, there's a sp- specific type of person that can do that well, you mm-hmm. know, and I, I don't, I don't really think that that's, that's me so much. Um, but I, I really either. do enjoy playing. <laughs> yeah. I it's, get t- it. it's harder. It's harder than people think, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. but I, you know, I do a lot of, I have a lot of bands at home that I, that I play in just for fun that make literally no money that I usually end up spending money on. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> But, you know, so that's, I do that for fun. And I mean, there's really no, there's really not a lot of side hustle that can happen in music unless you get lucky enough to do some studio work. Like I, I, a couple months ago, I was lucky enough to play on a, on a video game, uh, which was cool. That is cool. Um, Yeah. So it's like stuff comes in, you know, and you know, you, you, over the years, I would say that the biggest piece of advice I have is to, to be cool to everyone. Mm-hmm. you know be a nice person and, and be friendly and and you know forthcoming because you never know what you know young kids going to come up and be the next so and so you know and I'm, I'm not saying be friends with people because you want to get something out of them i'm just saying it's like be kind to everyone and you'll get calls yeah i remember you know? uh i was watching an interview with with scooter braun who coincidentally uh manages just a beaver uh, uh-huh. But he was saying that, you know, someone was asking him, how are you friends with all these people? Like, how are you friends with, you know, David Eck from Spotify? And how are you friends with this person? How are you friends with this person? He was like, you have to realize that I, these are all my peers and I was friends with them before they were anyone. 
Yeah. And so the people who you're, you're friends with now, or, you know, maybe 10 years ago or 20 years ago, or whatever the case may be, depending on people's ages, like the people that you come up with, they may turn into the next, you know, the next sting. But when they're 19 years old, if you're friends with them when you're 19 years old and you're cool with them, then you may be playing with them, you know, in 20, like prime example, like I played with, with a guy named Nick Bachrath for, for uh-huh. years and he's, he, he's in Cage the Elephant now. Which know? is amazing. Right. And it's like, uh, I don't know. It's like, how do you know this? I'm like, I, I knew him when he was 17. <laughs> you Absolutely. Know, like, and I think the important part about that as well is like when you, when you remain friends with people and you, and you have a good attitude and you, and you keep up with people, when you need a favor, you're not, you're not coming at them like out of nowhere. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're not cashing in a favor, you know, over the course of, you know, oh, like five years from now, I got to ask so-and-so for, for, for this favor and you haven't talked to him and in five years, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, you just keep up with people that way. When, when something does happen, when a tour does get canceled or something, it's like, you can call on your buds and be like, Hey, who's got something that, you know, that can help me fill in a gap here. You know what I mean? And right. you don't come off like somebody who just needs favors all the time. There are a lot of people who only reach out when they need something. And it's totally like, for me, I'm like, it's an automatic. No, absolutely. I but you know, it life happens too. You know what I mean? So sure. sometimes people get a pass. Yeah. It, I 100%, 100%. I mean, if like, if someone called me that I haven't spoken to in three years, but I'm buddies with and they're like, Hey man, I need, some. yes, of course, 100%. Yeah. You know, but I'm sure a lot of people come to you, you know, with this, this rad podcast and stuff like that. Like people are always needing something from you. I'm sure you there's know? plenty of like, Hey, can I come <laughs> on your podcast and talk about my new thing? And I'm like, I don't yeah. even know who you are. Exactly. And you've ne- and I'm like you're not even like you've never emailed me. You've you don't even you don't follow me on any social platform. You don't know anything about like you know or like hey man, I love your blog. I'm like it's not even a blog. I'm like get the f- get out of here. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just sound like some crotchety old man there. No, no, I appreciate it. I like it. That's that's your that's your angry voice. <laughs> yeah, that's my angry. <laughs> <voice>. <laughs> um one one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, which is interesting, I so I started playing drums when I was fifteen, and I always thought that I was I started late. And I've talked to a lot of people, and they're like, "Oh man, you started late!" But you started later than I did. You started when you were eighteen, right? Yeah, yeah. So one, like, what were you doing before you start? You were playing drums. Were you playing any other instrument? What made you pick up the drums? And then. Like this is a lot. This is multiple questions in one. But then, like, did you feel like you had a lot of catching up to do? Um, so uh, that's, that's a great question. And then I, uh, I did start late, uh, before drums, it was a lot of, you know, I grew up as a hardcore kid, you know, like skateboarding, going mm-hmm. to hardcore shows, like earth crisis, like straight edge hardcore, you know, it was like a scene in New Jersey, you know, and I just always would watch the drummer, you know, I was just, I was just it like enthralled by the drummer, you know, just because that's the most movement on stage. And it was just, you know, every time I was driving in my car or, you know, I would just be air drumming on the, on the steering wheel, you know, granted I had no idea what limb was making what sound, you know, because mm-hmm. when you don't play drums, you don't realize that like a lot of the low end is from the kick drum. You just, you <laughs> think it's, you know, people have, you know, eight hands and that's, what's making all the sounds. Uh, so it was funny, like I, I wanted to sing in a hardcore band. So a bunch of my buddies from high school, uh, one who I play in uh, Thursday with, his name is Tom, uh, we started a band and it was called Turnbuckle and it was a straight edge hardcore band. And I was the singer and my buddy Mike Fullington bought uh, a drum kit for like 600 bucks. It was a white Tom, a rock star DX or some, something like that. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, we had some practices, and he couldn't couldn't really he he wasn't really into it, you know. He was definitely more into like the singing, and I, it's and you know, strangely enough, I was more into like, well, I think I want to play drums, so we kind of switched. Nice. And uh, you know, a couple of days later, I was like, yo, let me let me buy that from you, and. My mom like gave me 600 bucks and I bought it from him and I put it in my mom's attic and I played every day for like, I don't know, four or five, six hours, you know, after mm-hmm. school, whatever, you know, when I wasn't skateboarding. So it was, it was just like, it consumed me. Yeah. And I didn't feel like I had any catching up because like I wasn't, at first I wasn't into it for like the technical aspect of like playing all the coolest ghost notes and doing all the rudiments, you know, mm-hmm. it was just like, I want to like be on stage playing drums like because i think it's the coolest thing because hardcore you have this visceral experience of of there is no you know stage you know right the whole right. room is yours because you can stage dive you can be up there you're so close everyone's sweating there's no pa you know it's just insanity mm-hmm. so i just wanted to be like part of that part of that yeah it's it's so crazy like when I, well, I, I'm thinking about personal experiences, but like when you when you first sit behind the kit and you go through this sort of thing, like okay, why? Like I I can't figure out how all of this stuff works together, right? And then mm-hmm. you and then slowly you start to to figure it out, and even within a matter of a couple of weeks, like you make exponential progress. Totally, and you're just like, oh my! Like I'm getting so much better so fast, and when i think around like when i was 18 i'd been playing for like two years and i was like i'm the greatest drummer in the world right (laughs) i like literally was like i'm the best i know i am like i don't you know no one can mess with me um (laughs) learn learn the hard way that i wasn't uh but so when you're when you're learning and you're you're at home you're shedding you're in there four five six hours a day which I think that everyone has to go through a period of where they're shedding for totally hours and hours and hours at a time, um, and so where did it go from there? Were you like I should get some lessons? Were did you ever take lessons? Did you? I'm always, I'm so interested to see how the path goes because I don't think there's one right answer to how you arrive somewhere. Well, I, I, I never like, so, so I would play every day and, you know, we, we, we played a one show when we were in high school, you know, it was was the end of, you know, I think I was like 17 and a half or something. Mm -hmm. We played this, this show at my friend's house. Um, and then I was like, okay. And that, that was the end of that band or whatever. So then we, you know, we all went to college and Tom, my best friend who plays on Thursday with me, met a dude named Jeff. Um, Jeff had this song he wanted to write, and they needed a drummer. So Tom, my friend Tom's like, yo, this dude Tucker I know, he plays drums. Let's go jam with him. So they did, and that's when Thursday started. So basically, I my first band and the first time I ever recorded was with Thursday. And it was like basically everything I knew how to play, I played in these songs. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and uh, which is which is cool. You know what I mean? It's like a a very honest way of of making music. I feel it's like this is like Like, this is all I got. I learned I learned to play with people. Right. Right from the start. So lessons. I had no real interest in lessons because not that I thought I was good, but I was good at listening and and being a team with other people. I grew up playing sports, so I knew what it was like to be a part of a team, Mm. you know, but then I also skateboarded like for my entire life, basically. And and knew what it was like to be a, uh, you know, to to 
to do things by myself, to practice by myself. So I had, I had the best of both worlds there. Um, and I, I did take one lesson and, uh, it was recently, it was about a year and a half ago or two years ago. I took one with Dave Elitch. Mm-hmm. Was that mind was, blowing? It was mind blowing. That dude's amazing. Like yeah. he's just the nicest dude. He's a ripper. And, uh, he also showed me that like my body is just all jacked up. Right. So, <laughs> which is kind of hard to hear. It's like, Oh, no, don't do that. Oh, you know. Right. But it's all good stuff, and it's all stuff that's I find applicable. You know what I mean? It's like uh-huh. it doesn't, he doesn't want to change the way you play. He just gives you the tools to to be like, hey, you know, be mindful of this. Mm-hmm. You know, stop doing that. Don't if you don't need to do that, don't do that. You know, and just all makes sense. How do you take something like that when you've been playing for so long and not have it not have it affect uh like you're playing live or or the way that you're practicing because a lot of that stuff, like the psychological aspect of, of a lot of these things, I know he's, he's big into like uh, um, the inner game of tennis and, and like I read a lot of, a lot of psychology and, and performance psychology specifically. And there's so many times, like one thing can, can go into your brain and then, and then you think about that all the time, which gets you out of like, out of your, your flow state. Well, it's funny because when I'm practicing by myself, I'm mindful of all this stuff that that he's taught me that 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 you know that I've also read and taught myself a little bit of here and there and stuff about body mechanics and whatnot. Um, but then when when you're up there for a live show, I, you know, and I'm not saying this is right, but it's right for me. Like I, I everything goes out the window, and I just give everything. You know, you throw yourself basically at the drums. Yeah. You know, it's it's controlled chaos. It's mm-hmm. Controlled. You know, you're trying to play as best as possible, but you're also like doing the thing that you absolutely love more than anything in the whole entire world. Right. So you're giving everything and like, it doesn't matter if you, you know, are are doing a clave when you shouldn't be, you know what I mean? You just do it because mm-hmm. you're just, you just are so excited and amped that your hair is sticking up, you know? Yeah. I always wonder about those nights, you know, there's some nights where you feel like you can't play a wrong note and then... I mean, I have this. I don't know if you do, but I feel like some nights I feel like I can't play a wrong note, and then some nights I feel like I have concrete on my hands and and nothing is working. And I wonder what the difference between those two days are. Is it you know? I wonder if it's in my head. Is it a, is it a physical thing? Is it a psychology thing? Is it a you know? I always wonder about that. And like, do you have different days like that? Absolutely, man. Especially you know, on on tour, uh, every, you know, every day is is a learning experience. You know what I mean? Because you're not on the same riser, you don't have the same, you know, monitor mix. You don't have the same. You know, it's like everything is different. Like you know, with drums, if something is a millimeter off, it's like, yep, you can completely miss it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or you bleed. You know, it's, yeah. So yeah, I have those nights constantly, and I and I. I there are a few nights here and there where I feel like kind of unstoppable. Like I could play, you know, like when the show's over, I like, I still have all this energy. Like I could have played 20 more songs, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, but I, I find that, I, I don't know. I feel like, like what you eat during the day affects you. You know what I mean? Like what, how, if you, like I try to go to the gym now every day before the shows, like I go in in the morning before sound check or something and like that kind of, takes all that nervous energy out of your body a little bit, you know, cause you're kind of fatigued. And I, I find for me in a strange way that makes me play more relaxed and better. Mm-hmm. 
but hmm. I, you know, I, I, I definitely, I definitely feel like the risers being crooked or, you know, like something being all janky, definitely throws the riser off the game. Moving, you know, yeah, when you're yeah, like, yeah. what the, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like I, a trampoline. Yeah. I'm like, I just, I was just thinking of a particular night where I'm like, God, this is, I was like, I'm definitely, I'm dying. I'm going to die on this. Oh, right here, right now. It's yeah, yeah. This is my last show ever because <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna die. Well, at least I'd be I'd go out doing something that I that I really love. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so talk to me about about building Thursday. Like, if you, I I think a lot of the things obviously it was a different time than than it is now, but I think a lot of the a lot of the things still remain the same. I remember Steve Rennie who, who found Maroon 5 and managed them for years. He said, if you want to, you know, if you want to get a record deal, the best way to do that is to have a line around the corner. And the best way to have a line around the corner is to write great songs. And I think there's a lot less, uh, you know, there's a lot less of people trying to be out there trying to get record deals, obviously. Um, but writing great songs is still, is still important. But then there's all these other things, these other things that go into it as well. Uh, What was like, what was the approach for you guys building this band that you think is still applicable now in 2020? Um, that's, that's, that's a tough one because when we started, you know, like I said, me personally, I was throwing everything I knew at these songs. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. what if we did this? This is the the thing I learned yesterday, you know? (laughs) Yeah. kind of thing yeah and then and then so that was the first record called waiting and then the second record called full collapse was was just we we were just trying to like write a record so we could play in my singer's basement you know Mm because he had this basement in new brunswick that all kinds of bands at the drive-in saves the day you know hot water music like they would tour and play his basement really yeah five dollars and like a can of soup like get you in you know what i mean like it's awesome so we were just trying to play that basement, you know? So we, we kind of wrote these songs, not knowing, you know, really like how many people would show up at this dude's basement. Uh, sometimes it'd be like 40, 50, 60 people. Sometimes you could, you couldn't even see. Sometimes the ceiling was sweating. It was insane. That's awesome. Yeah. So it was like, we had this scene and we just wanted to be a part of it. You know what I mean? We just wanted to, just wanted to be one of those bands up there that the kids were going nuts for, you know, Mm -hmm. but we didn't know how to like, craft a song that people would like you know we just kind of wrote parts that that we thought were sick you know what i mean like right. oh this part like oh break down here yeah let's like halftime that you know and yep. like kind of i think the way we approached it, it was like if it makes your hair stand up stand up then it's cool you know so i like that I, it was it there was no like thought of like oh we gotta we gotta make a song like this or we gotta do that you know it was, it was kind of just happening you know, and then we we had enough songs to make a record. We made Full Collapse, and you know, no one, you know, people liked it at first. But then we we kind of we went on tour with Saves the Day, and Hey Mercedes, and uh, we put we did like a really, you know, cheap video mm-hmm. for the song called Understanding in a Car Crash, and people kind of started digging it. Got played on MTV and all this stuff, and and things kind of grew from there. Um, and it was wild. Because we literally had just like written these songs in my mom's attic and then partially in Jeff's basement and it was just it was just crazy. So How, the the tour with, with Saves the Day, were you was that like was it a big tour? Were they or it was, was it like yeah. van or you know because like, 'cause I'm trying to think how big Saves the Day was then when you guys were on the road with them. 
Well, so this was 2001, maybe, and they were in a bus. So we were like, Got oh, it. my God, they're in a bus. You know, that's right. crazy. How did you get that? And, how did you get the touring gig? We, I can't remember. It was like... We got offered a tour with Converge and a tour with Saves the Day pretty much simultaneously. Mm. And, uh, you know, we had to turn down Converge. Uh, and, I, you know, we were all bummed because we're all huge Converge fans. We're all also huge Saves the Day fans, you know, so it was right. kind of hard to pick. And we were lucky enough to get offered either, you know, to begin with. Uh, but I'm not really sure. It was just we kind of, you know played a little bit here and there and played in Jeff's basement and did all this stuff. And people kind of were like digging the vibe of the band. So, you know, and when, when you're, when you're a quote unquote headliner, you're always looking for a cool band to play with a cool band to open, you know, somebody not necessarily who's going to draw kids, you know what I mean? Or something like that. But, but something that you are like, Oh, this, this band is, I heard this band is sick. You know what I mean? Right. So I think that's how we got the offer to begin with. Nice. And plus New Jersey. Right, because right. New Jersey fucking rules, <laughs> or I mean, or Pennsylvania. But um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's uh, uh, side note. I'll tell you an interesting uh, little tidbit. So when you grow up in Pennsylvania, I don't know if it's the same way in Jersey, but when you grow up in Pennsylvania, you are predisposed to hate New Jersey, right? Uh-huh. Like hate everything about it, right? You're yeah. like it's the armpit of America, like f like fuck New Jersey, right? That's what yeah, that, totally. So then I moved to New Jersey. And then I would go home and people were like, oh, you live in New Jersey? And I'm like, hey, New Jersey is a very nice place to live. <laughs> and, I, and now like, and like my wife's from New Jersey and everything. So now I have like this really deep connection to New Jersey that anybody talks shit on New Jersey. I'm like, yo, whoa. I'm like, don't, <laughs> it is not, kind of crazy how that happened. I'm like, it? not so fast. It's like when you hate a baseball player and then they come over to your team and you're like, well, we love them now. Yeah, hell yeah. Like, like, oh, we got we got blah, blah, blah now, you know? <laughs> they're like, so you like him because he has a different shirt on? <laughs> You're like, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right, yeah. <laughs> You're like, last year I wanted to kill him, now I'm like, I want to invite him to be like the godfather of my child. Yeah, you pretend that you have liked him from the start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No, it's, it's crazy, man. New Jersey, it, it, growing up there, you, you, I don't know, for me, you know, skateboarding and stuff like that. I mean, winter sucks, obviously. Yeah, of course. You know, it's gray and gross and all that stuff. But I don't know. Things being so close together and being so densely populated, there's a lot of opportunity as far as, like, going to see shows, you know. And and I don't know. And being so close to New York and being so close to Philly, mm-hmm. you know. And it gets a bad rep because, yes, everybody's like, oh, what exit? You know what I mean? Because it, it is an industrial cesspool when you're driving down the parkway or the turnpike, you know. But right. it's actually green. We have deer, you know, whatever. Yeah. Isn't it called the green state? Garden state. The garden state. I should, I'm like, why did I say the green state? <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me. I'm from Philadelphia. Um, it's all good. Uh, I have no idea why I said the green state. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm into it. I'm such an idiot. <laughs> we'll just cut that out. Uh, no, no. It's, no, I, no, no. Like, we're going to leave it. I don't cut. I don't cut. State. <laughs> I, don't, I don't cut anything out. Don't worry. <laughs> um <laughs> The uh, yeah, it was, it's it's interesting. I had uh, Jeremiah from the Lumineers on, who they're from New Jersey, and mm-hmm. they went to Denver and blew up in Denver, and then came back. They actually they were in Brooklyn for years, and they like they, he was like it was just too expensive to live there, and they you know they weren't the Lumineers yet, um, <clears throat> or they were, but they weren't you know famous and making money. And then right. when they came back, they were dubbed as like this Denver band 
that was playing in New York and New Jersey and all this stuff. And he's like, we're from here. I don't know why. Uh, he was like, I guess because we, we blew up in Denver. Now we're like, now we're a Denver band, but we're they're they're from New Jersey. Well, that's the thing. It's like people take, like you were talking about that player on the team, like people take ownership. Yeah, that's true. You know, and, and they, they, you're, you know, you're the first person to see them in this city, you know what yep. I mean? That they, they moved to, mm-hmm. you know, then they, they put you in your back pocket, you know? It's like if you ask most people where Frank Sinatra's from. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, he's from New York. I'm like, no, he's not. He's from Hoboken, New Jersey. He's from Hoboken, New Jersey. Yeah, right. Exactly. All right. They have Frank Sinatra Boulevard. How do you, you know? They do. They do. <laughs> uh, it's sorry. Like we're now we're now we're getting distracted, and people are like, "Is this history or is this is this drama?" <laughs> but I think a lot of this is is interesting, um, particularly like how how bands like any band who's from a local area and they end up blowing up you feel like you know like you're connected to them and you feel like they're they're representing you and you can you can sort of get behind them and i and then i can see like if you're a band that blows up and you want to find another band to open for you like why not look in your own backyard first to help someone sure. else in from your your town or your your state you know go on the road with you or or and and you i think that that happens more than than most people realize absolutely that, that like there's these clusters of bands that like oh they're all friends because oh yeah well they're because they're all from Seattle or they're all from here or they're all from there totally and it, it, it at some point in time somebody's probably helped one another in that in that thing like and, mm-hmm. you know it's like saves a day coming through and playing in Jeff's basement you know and it's like oh Jeff's got a new band called Thursday let's take them out on tour you know what I mean or, right it's like it's, it's scratching each other's backs you know in, in a way. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the new Promark Select Balance? So Select Balance gives the drummers the ability to fine-tune a standard stick model to fit their playing style. Let me give an example. If you play rock or country or metal, then you can use the Promark Forward Balance. It gives you enhanced power and speed. But if you play jazz and funk and gospel, then you can use the Rebound Balance. And it gives you rear-weighted balance to give you better finesse and more agility. The best part is they're made by Promark. They control the entire process from the forest to the finished drumstick, which means you get unmatched level of quality and consistency. Plus, they're always paired by weight and by pitch, so you know that there is zero guesswork when you're grabbing that stick out of your bag. Check them out by going to Promark.com. So the new Sonar SQ1s, yeah, they're sick. They're made out of birch, and the reason why they made them out of birch is because birch has a balanced low, mid, and high range, so they sound great in the studio, and they also sound great live. They also have a sound sustainer system. It's a new mounting hardware, and it's rubber on metal, and what that does is it completely separates the mounting hardware from the wooden shell, so you're going to get an amazing tonal quality out of these drums. They actually got that from the automotive industry. That's where they learned about this technology. Not only that, I'm a car lover, so this is super cool to me. The colors and style of legendary car classics were the inspiration for the color selection of the SQ1. So there are four matte lacquer finishes that you can choose from. So not only do they sound good, they also look good too. Check them out by going to sonar.com. How has songwriting for you changed over the years? Because obviously with time you get, you become a better songwriter, you work with producers. What, like from a songwriting perspective, do you think that your approach has changed? And and if so, how? 
Well, I mean, I, I definitely I think so because you're you know as you get older, your music tastes kind of shift, and you know you you learn that less is more, you know, and you know when you're when you're 19 years old and you hear less is more, you're just like, nah, fuck that. More is more. Yeah, more <laughs> is more. You know, like fuck ACDC. You know, yeah. like, but you know, as you go back and listen to the stuff that you liked back back in the day, you're like, oh wow, that stuff he is playing like a more simple kind of thing, and it's way more effective. So you kind of learn this, like, what is effective? Like, what are what are, what is the part that I'm air drumming from from record whatever you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. why why is that so why does that hit so hard you know what i mean it's not because i'm playing it harder because this person is like smashing the drums it's it's just what they play so i i don't know you kind of get mindful of that and that can either be like a pitfall or it can help you you know what i mean so it's i've i've tried to always be conscious of a balance of both you know what i mean like people liked thursday back in the day because it had this nervous energy and it was this kind of thing that almost felt like it was going off the rails but it stayed on you know so you want to keep that Mm -hmm. you know but you also want to play a little bit better you know you want to make sure that you don't listen back to your record when it's mixed and you can't change it and be like "Ooh, i shouldn't have played that part right got you you. know or i should have played that part better you know it's like you you kind of want to play better like i I always say it like this you like especially for live shows you know like you play as you get bigger as a band you have to play for the back of the room Mm -hmm. now Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not a hardcore show where you're playing when everybody's jumping all around and you know they don't really care what the band sounds like. They're just there because the energy and the vocals and the lyrics and everything is coming together. Like you still want to have that, but you also have to play for the people in the back of the room who are you know drinking a beer or they drop their kids off and they're you know <laughs> right. something like that. So <laughs> and the, you know. and all the movements. Like I think one of the hardest things for me was when we got when we were going from you know, a 500 seat club to a 3000 seat club mm-hmm. and then, and then to a 20,000 seat club or not club, but arena, like those movements are totally different. Absolutely. And like all of that nuanced stuff. And like, and before like the bass player is three feet away from you. Now he's 18 feet away from you. <laughs> yeah. And there's just, see him. yeah. And like, was that, how was that for you adjusting to that? Uh, I mean, it's, it's always, I mean, it's weird, but then again, every day on stage is weird, you know, True. every day things sound different and, and whatnot, but the, the people being spread out is very difficult for me because I, I personally, I'm big on eye contact and like mm-hmm. what it was like back in the day to write the music. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and the reason why thing I, of connection and the know? reason why I asked the question is less of like a, Oh, what was that like, man? That must've been so cool. Less of that, but, but understanding like for people listening, understanding that like the things that you're playing in front of 75 people don't translate in front of 1500 and the things you're playing in front of 1500 probably don't translate in front of 5,000 and, and totally it keeps going up. So I like, I think that the, seeing bands as they mature i think a lot of times people are like oh their sound changed or you know the style changed or something like that and it's like yeah because you that's the stuff that some of that really like nuanced intricate stuff and and all of that intimacy that's going on it just can't be replicated at a bigger stage totally you know if you're watching a band in an arena you know and they're playing like grindcore you know it's gonna sound muddy and weird right you know, because it, it's such a gigantic place, you know, but if you have a band like Weezer, who's just like, 
in the pocket playing fucking cool pop songs, it's going to sound mint. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just the difference, just a a different thing, you know? I went, so last year we were talking about South by Southwest uh, getting canceled. Last year I saw a punk band from Ireland and I can't remember the name of them. Uh, I wish I could remember. I'll, I'll remember and put it in the show notes. And I like, admittedly, like I'm not a punk. I I don't listen to punk. Right. Uh And it was like in this tent, and there was like maybe 150 people or 200 people there and they started playing and it was like it was loud and it was aggressive and i was like this is fucking amazing like (laughs) it was awesome right but like if i put that on if i like put it on itunes and listen to i actually did i went and listened to it on itunes and i was like this is horrible i didn't like it right not the same thing it's not the same thing like if i saw if they opened for a band in an arena i probably would have been like it sounds like noise but in that setting as intimate as it was it was fucking amazing and i was like oh my god but i was but now that we're having this conversation i'm like if that band gets huge and they play in front of twenty five thousand people they're gonna have to change their entire show (laughs) totally Totally. Right. And and they're not even gonna know that they're doing it is the is the thing. You know what I mean? Like That's the interesting part too, yeah. You kind of get older and you get bigger and then you get a little snobbier and then you try to write things like, Well, fuck, this band's writing like this. Like we gotta do something totally different. Like, ooh, I found this pedal. I'm gonna make this noise over mm-hmm. and over again. Right. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> like that's our new sound. And you're just like, Well, okay. Yeah. Like, how do we write the same kind of songs? You know, you never want to write the same song twice, first of all. But, you know, you, you kind of want to keep the spirit of the band alive, you know. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, that, it's funny because you, you, you kind of change your sound, but not even not even really knowing it. You're not going for like, well, let's change the, the vibe of the band, you know. It's, right. It just kind of happens. Yep. I mean, I, I look at Green Day the same way. Like, I mean, they got the people hated them. Like, like when they would go back to their town, people were like, they sold out and this and that. And it's like, I just think they, you want people to listen to your music, right? And yeah, lots of people started listening to their music. And I just don't think that they could pull off the stuff that they were doing in front of 300 people in front of 30,000 people. Right. That's just my right. take. No, I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a, it's I feel like you got different. silent. Do you have, do you have beef with, uh, do you have beef no. with Green Day? <laughs> no, not at all. I think Green Day is fucking awesome. You know, it's like, and it, and, I just love that that they did get huge. You know what I mean? It's like they write amazing songs, right? You know, they're just well crafted and just I I don't know. I love that they're big, and you know, I don't care about people selling out. Like you know, being a musician, being an artist is hard. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's if you can make money doing it, and you, you know, you're a better person than me. You know what I mean? Like I I, I envy that kind of shit. It's such an interesting dichotomy because people are like, oh man, we like we love your band and we want it to do well. And then you start to do well and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't want you to do that well. Yeah. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like I want as, I want, if I write a tune, I want as many people to listen to it as possible. I want, you know, I want to make as money much as much money as I can off of it. Like why, why is that? I don't understand why that's a bad thing. Absolutely. And it, it, it's and, and the other the thing to go along with that is like there are peaks and valleys to all of this, you know, like right. you could be doing really well one day and then the next like you, people are like, no, fuck that band, you know, or, or like I don't like their new sound. And then you're like in this valley and you're not making money, but you're like working just as hard because let's be honest, like when you're on tour, you're 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 working 24 hours a day. Right. Like, 
you might be like sound checking for an hour and then playing for an hour and a half, which people think, oh, that's all you're doing is like playing. You're like on stage for like three hours, like big deal. It's like, dude, you're away from your family. You're away from your bed. You're trying to find food. You know, you don't know everything about every city. So, you know, you could have been there 10 times, but you still only visited the city 10 times. That doesn't right. make you a fucking, you know. And you're, and you're like, you know, every day you're like trying to, there's no routine at all. No. So like uh-huh. you get up, people get up in the morning, they make their coffee and then they do this thing. And then it's like none of that. You got to find a gym. If you want to work yeah. out, you got to find this, you got to do that. You got to yeah. pack and unpack and pack and unpack. And you got to ride on a bus and you got to do this. And then you're playing and then you got to be at the club and you do meet and greet. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, this is a lot. Yeah. And this then the day's over and you're like, fuck, I'm exhausted. I'm in pain. My hands are fucking bleeding, you know? And you know, they're like, get on the bus. We got to do it tomorrow. Yeah. And then somebody's in a fight, you know, and (laughs) you know, it's just like, what the fuck? But I mean, it's, it's hard because they're, you know, you're doing well one day and then you're not doing well. And you know, a lot of people, when, when, when bands start, start doing not well, or music gets hard or art gets hard, they quit. You know what I mean? And like, and I don't blame people for, for, for taking that, the quote unquote smarter road and getting a real job and doing whatever, because it is hard, but you know, there are people that, that stick around and try to make it work and, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm one of those people and the good times and the bad times, you know, it's like this, this I wouldn't change it. You know, I have, I always say that I have an issue with people who I have, I mean, it's everyone's life, but I, I think that there needs to be more talk around what you just said. Like if you're, if art is getting hard and finances are getting tight, then, and you have a family to take care of, or you have this, or you have that. I think that it's the smart decision. And I think like you owe it to everyone to like get a job and, and keep playing as much as possible. But like, if you can't pay your bills, you need to do something, right? But there's, Absolutely. there's this thing about people wearing it like a badge of honor that that are they're like, oh, all I do is play drums. Yeah. And what's your what's your take on that? Are you are you like a no star for your art kind of guy, or are you like no, dude, go get a job, like be smart about this? Um, uh, I, I I go on 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 both on both sides of that fence, you know, like couple years back you know before before my wife and i got married you know i was you know i I was playing in yellow card as a hired gun um and that came to an end and well i was was playing in this boy band that came to an end right after that i got the yellow card gig what boy band were you in this boy band called the wanted they were Mm. british uh also managed by scooter braun yeah (laughs) i was like i know scooter braun yeah yeah great dudes uh and a great time uh but then then yellow card and then that that kind of ended and it was like okay what am i going to do now so i kind of i had literally no gaps between thursday breaking up the boy band and then you know other like i played in murphy's law for a little while mm-hmm. um that paid some bills um strangely enough uh but i i my friends had this this you know set shop you know where you build kind of sets for for photo shoots and stuff like that. And it was literally down the street from my apartment. So I got a job there and it was like really hard work, Yeah, you know, like busting my ass every day and crazy hours. So did that. And then I, you learn, I learned that I just fucking hated it. Right. <laughs> just absolutely hated it. You know, it was like, I, it w- I should have, it was like I was on tour, but I was one block from my apartment. Like I yeah. barely saw my wife, couldn't make any plans 
grateful for the job because I learned a lot of, you know, skills, life skills and shit and carpentry stuff, you know, not enough to be a good carpenter. So don't, I'm not, I'm not saying that, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I tried, you know, I, I, I tried my hand at that stuff and, and I, I picked a really hard field to, to kind of try that with. And then Thursday came back around, you know, we kind of got that back together and that, that proved to be doing well for us. So, you know, I, I'm when it, when the times get low, you know, and I, I feel like the shit's hitting the fan. Like you gotta you gotta go into survival mode and figure out how to make money. You know what I mean? There's right. there's there's no bones about it. But but I I definitely feel like like I am a working drummer today. You know, mm-hmm. and and that makes me happy. But I also you know every day you wake up and you're, you you know I look at my bank account. I'm like okay I'm all right today and then i wake up the next day i'm like fuck i gotta do something what am i gonna do and then you brainstorm and you go crazy and you know so it's up and down all the time Mm -hmm. for sure but i do think that you you know when when the going gets rough you gotta if you if you're not out there hungry for a gig or like trying to put yourself out there to to get gigs like get a get a goddamn job right especially like if you i know i know plenty of people who are like playing twice a month like what are you doing with the rest of your time go get a job like they're not it's it's okay no one's gonna i think for me i think the biggest thing is that we need to get rid of this stigma that like if you work or you do something other than playing drums to make money that you're still a professional you're still accomplished you're still like you didn't lose any street cred yeah i think that like it's the stigma and it bothers me so much and like Ever since I started this podcast, I was like, that's one of the things that I want to do is like, like re reframe what, what it means or, or, or like, you know, reshape the narrative of what it means to be a professional. And like, yeah, absolutely. It, it bothers like, me. like having a, having a real job and, 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 and playing drums doesn't make you like a, a weekend warrior. Right. You know, and a weekend warrior is such a fucking dumbass term anyway. Like, <laughs> right finding time to play drums even when you're like not working is hard you know yeah. like if you don't have a rehearsal space mm-hmm. you know how like you're gonna sit on a pad all day yeah. you know what i mean like it's or you gotta rent a you gotta rent a, an hourly room or something like that like it's not it's not easy some people don't like to practice some people don't like to sit in a room by themselves and play drums right you know what i mean like i thrive on that shit you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i love that but it's funny, yeah, because like it does, it, it shouldn't matter how often you practice or what job you do. It's what matters when you're like up there on the drum kit. You know what I mean? Like if that's you it. sound good, you sound good. I know plenty of world class players that have day jobs. Totally. You know, it's like okay, that's fine. There's nothing yeah, wrong with that. Absolutely not. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, I think the most important question of this entire conversation. How does a punk drummer get a job playing with a boy band? Funny you should ask that. And this goes <laughs> back to the the very beginning when we were talking about making friends with people and, you know, and and kind of valuing, you know, people around you, you mm-hmm. know, as as friends, not just as like, oh, this is my rep from whatever. This is my blah blah blah, like so Thursday signed to Island Def Jam uh uh back in the day, you know, and mm-hmm made friends with a bunch of people on, on Island Def Jam. And, and one of them was a gentleman named Eric Wong. And he was basically like 
a dude at the label that was just was just helping us out and he was just a great guy and you know he was easy to work with and whatnot and had all these great ideas so fast forward about i don't know seven eight years um and thursday kind of breaks up mm-hmm. so i'm like man who who am i gonna who, who can i get in touch with and you know, I can't get in touch with Eric Wong. Like he's, he's like managing Mariah Carey now. Like it's crazy. Like I I don't, you know, I feel weird reaching out. My wife's like, just reach out to him. So I I was like, Hey dude, you know, I sent him an email. I was like, you know, we kept in contact. So it wasn't a weird email. Right. Right. Like, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, as you know, Thursday's breaking up, you know, I was just wondering if you have any, you know, any artists that need like, you know, a drummer, like a lot of, uh, you know, when you're dealing with major labels, they, they get a lot of solo artists that don't yeah. have a band yet that, you know, need, need to a, a full band to, to play a showcase, you know? I was mm-hmm. like, so if you need, you have any artists that need showcase, like I'm like off right now, like I don't have a gig, you know, it's kind of freaking me out. He's like, all right. He's like, uh, actually he's like, I've, I've got this, this band called the wanted, you know, they're, they're from, they're from the UK, you know, they, I, they, they are doing a showcase in like a couple days can you put together a band, you know, learn their songs, put together a band and, and, and play the showcase. I was like, Oh man, like, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and it was like, they need to be local. You know, I was living in New York at the time. He's like, they need to be local so we can, you know, kind of get this done. And, you know, right. it's, it's their first, you know, they want to, they want to like, wow, the label. And, and so make it professional. And I was like, cool. So I hit up my friend, Brian, and my friend, Eric, um, and they were like, yeah, what kind of music is it? And I was like, I think it's like punk. They're called The Wanted. You know, like, <laughs> let me, let me, let me email them back. I was like, yo, Eric, like, what kind of music is this before, you know, I, you know, the dudes are asking. He's like, oh, it's a, it's a British boy band. <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, yeah, it's like, you know, like, like in sync, like five dudes. You're like, do they rage? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, what? I'm like, oh my God, what did I just agree to? So then I hit my friend Eric back up. My, my friend Brian had said yes. He used to play in this band from on to ashes. He's a ripping guitar player. And then I hit up my friend, Eric, who, you know, is just a close bud. He's a sick bass player. And he, and I was like, Hey, you know, are you they're They're a boy band. He's like, fuck no. He's like, I'm not doing that shit. <laughs> and I was like, but here at the day rate, dude, he's like, uh, all right. And uh, so I, I kind of put together the band and then a couple of days later, the, the, the music director flew in because they, they kept the same music director, this guy, David, who's amazing. And we kind of just went over the songs and kind of flushed it out and played the showcase. It went really well. And the boys liked us. And we just we just went from there. It's crazy. Yeah, but it's all it's, you know, it's staying in contact with people who, who are nice to you and who who. Just because they're not in the band, they still matter. You know what I mean? Yeah, of like, course. People still matter, so it's you. You kind of keep those relationships going, and you know, good things come from it sometimes. It's such a valuable lesson, like you just said. Keep those relationships going. Like check in with people once in a while. Say hello. Absolutely. See what's going on. See if there's anything yeah. you can do to help. You know, like yeah, happy holidays, happy birthday, anything. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. anything. Like pick up the phone, call someone, text somebody, whatever. Yeah, I I agree. There was there was one thing that I was thinking about why you were telling this story is and I think that I think that sometimes punk music gets like this negative connotation from a drumming standpoint where it's like, oh, it's just somebody bashing on the drums. And I don't think that that's necessarily true. Um and 
how like there like there's more there's more to your playing than just that right like there's nuances in what you're doing and i think most of the time it's like if you don't understand it then you just you just say oh it's this thing or, or it's that thing right so like with jazz drumming if you don't understand jazz you just think it's like playing like a spangalang on the ride and that's all it is right <laughs> yeah um, so with punk music, I think that a lot of like those who don't know it, like, I think that it's like, oh, it's just a lot of, it's bashing on the drums, which is not the case. Did you feel like your playing was at a point where like with all this boy band stuff, did you have, do you feel like you had like all of the, the nuance playing down or was that something that you had to, that you had to work on? Cause it's definitely a different style than, than playing punk, but like, totally, but like you're still playing phrases and nuances and all that kind of stuff in punk it's just different if if you if you you know say hey can you do you think that you could you know step in tomorrow for this 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 boy band i would say yes right. not because i have the chops but because i fake it till i make it you know what i mean like and i'm right. a firm believer that like if you want something bad enough or you need something bad enough you're gonna figure it out mm-hmm. you know so but yeah punk music is is somewhat bashing but it's hard you know like playing punk music is not easy i don't think you know, I, like, I, yeah i wouldn't i, I would it, not say that <laughs> i wouldn't like, say that I'm, I'm, no no and i'm i'm like a, a you know dave grohl you know he's a fucking basher but he rips you know what i mean and yeah and i like listening to somebody like dave grohl or, or will goldsmith from sunny day real estate it's like you're if you're playing a note even if it's a ghost note like you better hear it Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I, I think that like myself, I, I consider myself a basher, you know, because I like to hit hard and, you know, I, I like to be in it. I like, I want to play the drums. I don't want the drums to play me. You know what I mean? Like, so right. if, if I'm going to play a note, I, I want people to hear it. Of course. You know, so I, I feel like, I, I don't know, like it, all this stuff is, is a different animal. Like punk is completely different than jazz. Like, can I play jazz? No, that shit's hard. <laughs> you know and it's it's very intricate and like you know i i don't know but but i there there's a there's a craziness to punk that that like i said before about coming off the rails but still staying on and staying in control that controlled chaos mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know that that is is equally as hard to do i i, I feel I, I I agree with that, and I and maybe I don't know maybe maybe this isn't necessarily the case, but I feel like it is, and I, I'm totally mm-hmm. okay to be wrong with it. But I feel like a lot of people automatically think if you're a basher and like you play this type of music, not necessarily punk, but any, like if you're just a basher, then there's no musicality inside of that, which I totally disagree with. Right, so uh, like same. I was I was listening to In Bloom yesterday, right, and mm-hmm. you, you just mentioned Dave Grohl. Like, there's like the stuff that he's playing is nothing crazy, right? But if you really listen to it, you're like, man, this shit is super musical. Yeah, super musical. And so I think that's the difference of like, like you can have you can be closed minded and be like, oh, this person's, bad. or there's some people that might listen to jazz and be like, I don't hear the musicality in it. I don't. Yeah, get it. You which know? is crazy because you know that's all about musicality jazz you know it's right. but you know something like like there there's a there's a method to the bashing you know what i mean there's a there's a control to it there's a, playing with intent you know i feel is is more is more the term i i, I would use instead of bashing for you know if, if i'm describing myself you know it's playing i play with intent you know what i mean right. like i mean it and i think dave Grohl means it you know and 
Taylor Hawkins means it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Sometimes mm-hmm. you get excited and you do bash, but it's because it's you're just fucking in it. Right. I get it. I get it. Uh, so what, uh, what do you have going on now? I know that you, you, you're always working on some different stuff and. So right now I just moved into a new house a couple weeks ago. So I'm, you know, we're, we are expecting a child in, in about two weeks. So I'm home, you know, I'm, I'm off Thursday's not doing anything for a little while. And, uh, Frank, uh, I play also with Frank Iero in the future violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's kind of doing the Mike M thing right now. So he's busy. So I have some time to actually like learn how to be a dad. That's good. You know, and, and so I'm, I'm using this time to kind of get the house together. I also have this detached garage that I'm turning into a drum fucking shed. It's going to be like sick. It. So I'm kind of just working on that. And then, you know, around August, uh, Thursday picks up again. So, you know, I, luckily I've afforded this time to be off. That's you know, perfect. Music has been good to me for the past couple of years. So taking this opportunity to learn how to co-parent. I like it. You know, learn my, the way that, you know, I feel like when you're, when you're trying to be a parent, you should do things the same as your wife does, you know? Yeah, so I think try so. to do that. First, is it your first child? First child, yeah. There you go. Big, that's a big step. Yeah. Congratulations step. on that. Thanks. It's fucking terrifying. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I hope so. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> Coming from me, I'm like, I've no, uh, you know, I've no, accreditation to tell you that but i'm like yeah you'll be fine hey but i appreciate it sure that's all that matters (laughs) so what's the best way for people to stay up with what you got going on should they go to the site or you're on the i know you're on the gram and all that but i don't know the gram i think is the best you know yeah at tucker rule it's just you know i try to try not to keep it all drumming but it's a lot of drumming yeah well it's also a lot of like hey look i painted my fucking door it's yellow it's sick right well, that's, I, I think that that I like I like when people show a little bit of uh of who they are too, you know, not yeah, just yeah. like here's my here's my drum set for the eighty seventh time. Yeah, totally. I mean, I do that a lot, you know. But you well, know, you're a I drummer. Try to, I try to mix it up exactly, <laughs> and that's all I fucking do. All right, all drums. That's it. I don't do anything else. <laughs> I have no interest. I don't like anything yeah. else. You know, one most one dimensional human on the planet. Right. If someone, I won't even. I don't take money for anything other than drumming. Even if someone hands it to me, I won't take it. If it didn't yeah, yeah, drums. yeah. There's no snare involved. Don't call me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude. Uh, first of all, thank you for for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Congrats on the new house, the new child on the way. Uh, obviously, all this, the success that you had in music, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing where you take it. Thanks, man. I, I just want to say I think you're rad, and I really appreciate you taking the time and, and thinking of me for, for something as cool as this. I really appreciate that. I, I appreciate you saying that, my man, and uh, you're welcome back anytime. Thanks, dude. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. There you have it. That was Tucker Rule. You can find the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 556. 
Also, if you haven't already, if you dig the podcast, do me a favor. Just leave a rating or a review. You can do that on iTunes. It takes about two minutes, and it lets people know that they should be listening to this podcast. Also, the show notes, I don't know how many of you are checking out the show notes, but there's information on there. There's links to everything that we talk about. Uh, you know, There's more to the story about the about the guest and things like that. So check them out. Go to drummersresource.com. They're all there. This one in particular, drummersresource.com forward slash session 556 and until the next podcast keep drumming thank you so much for listening and i'll be talking to you soon peace drummer's resource is produced by revoice media executive producer nick ruffini that's me edited by justin thomas video editing by tomas shannon and graphic design by Catherine wade for more music and entertainment podcasts be sure to check out revoicemedia.com